blew me off for a bottle of tequila. Tequila's no good for you. Doesn't call, doesn't write. It's not nearly as much fun to wait Hi, up. I'm Tamsin. I'm Ayla, and welcome to Scalpels in Tequila, Season 1, Episode 7, The Self-Destruct Button. In this episode, Derek spends the night at Meredith's. His exit, however, is not, not as subtle as he believes. George suspects an anesthesiologist of drinking before major surgeries, but is scolded when he speaks up about it. Alex treats a man who was shot voluntarily. Izzy's patient swallowed his girlfriend's keys to stop her from leaving him, whilst Meredith's patient is a teen who is dealing with a controlling mother. Christina appears to have the flu. So Meredith opens up this episode with her monologue, and it is all about, I guess it's kind of all there in the title, the self-destruct button. So it's about things we do that inflict harm upon ourselves. So self-harm, but in a more... Choosing behaviours that are detrimental to oneself. So we open up this episode with Meredith's monologue, and she says, If life's so hard already, why do we bring more trouble down on ourselves? What's up with the need to hit the self-destruct button? So basically this concept of self-destruction, of self-harm, is what this whole episode is about. And we really see this in every patient and almost every character throughout this whole episode. It's just such a theme that keeps being brought up. Yeah, some of them are purposefully making choices to harm themselves for validation. Some of them are making choices uh, that harm themselves to please somebody else. Mm-hmm. Some of them have just had an accident that they they didn't know about, but it is, you know, due to their lusts. So even in the very first scene, we see Derek and Meredith waking up. I have to mention, this is one of the only mm. scenes ever in all of cinematic history where two people have obviously had sex the night before and they've woken up naked. <laughs> because everyone's normally all clothed or oh, like a bra. That's so true. Yeah, like the girl's still wearing a bra or they have like the dignity sheet up to the chin, but like there's some serious thigh and glute action. Who sleeps in a bra? I always get so confused by the sleeping in the bra. I slept in a bra until I was about 16 because I've I've got kahungas and I always- ju- Like just a bra? Yeah, like I always thought that the bra like would naked, stop my the boobs from sagging when I slept. And then a friend of mine was like, oh, no, you shouldn't wear a bra to bed. So I didn't one day and I was like, oh, my God, this is real freedom. <laughs> yeah, uncomfortable. I don't understand pajamas or people's willingness to spend hundreds of dollars on pajamas. Wait, oh, I always wear clothes to bed, like pajamas or, yeah, I cannot what? sleep naked. Have you ever... Slept naked, like, in a hotel on freshly made expensive sheets? No, I hate it. Okay, so tonight I need you to go and shave your legs, change your sheets, and get into bed. It's just, it's so silky smooth. Yeah, like, I understand that feeling, but I can do it with, like, not necessarily pajamas, but, like, a T-shirt or a little nightdress. But, like, after you've um, done the nightly activities, do you get up and put a shirt on? Uh Uh-huh. What? Mm-hmm. I don't like sleeping naked. You're wrong. <laughs> We're very different people. I'm so upset by this. <laughs> I'm really upset by this. <laughs> Never understood it. It's my. I, I went traveling through Europe, and when I was, you know, in my twenties, like every Australian did. And when I got to Nice in France, 
uh, I was in a 40 bed dorm, but for some reason I was the only one in that dorm. And I, I checked with the staff and I'm like, is something going on? They're like, no, 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 there's no one arriving or going in that dorm for the next two days. And I was like, oh my God, I get to sleep naked for the in first time in like room? six months. <gasps> it, was, no. it was blissful. No, no, no. Yeah. That's so stressful no to me. It was me. Because I always think that beds. someone, like in the middle of the night, if something happens, if I have to wake up, if there's a fire, if something goes on, like I don't want to be naked. <laughs> Sorry, what were we talking about? Back to the show. <laughs> and now back to the studio. So Derek and Meredith are waking up and George and Izzy are complaining that they've just heard all this loud sex all night and they haven't got any sleep. So this is the first moment we see of this idea of the, the self-destruct button because Derek and Meredith have been up all night. So now they're exhausted and they're heading to work at five in the morning. Their alarm goes at 5.20 or something, I think. And Izzy is super happy for Meredith. She, like, George is obviously sulking because he's just realised that Meredith is dating someone. Mm. But Izzy's just like, yeah, get yours, girl. You're just upset, George, that you don't have a sex life. She can get it. She can get it. And then they hear the door slam and do exactly what every other housemate on the planet has done. Yeah. And they run to the kitchen door and peek out to see, ooh, girl. Ugh, and they see that it's Derek and they are not happy it's so funny Izzy completely changes and then when Meredith comes in Izzy's just like so you had some I've forgotten the word but it's so good oh you had some hot sex last night it's like um they've they've written her like she's supposed to be comfortable talking about sex but her entire character is like not someone who talks about these things and it just seems very uncomfortable I think she says it it's very she picks her words it's very choice words with Izzy. So I think the fact that she's uncomfortable when she says this really shows how angry she is. Mm -hmm. She says, it sounded like you were having pretty radical sex last night, all night long. Radical. Yeah, because she was so jealous at the start. And now she's just like, oh, absolutely not. Of course, because it's their boss. And like she says, their careers depend entirely on getting recommendations for people in the position of Power. of people like Shepard in that particular job, in that particular position. So it is a bit of jealousy and it's just, I guess, again, it's this idea of the self-destruct button. I guess she also thinks that Meredith is kind of detrimenting her own career. Meredith's actions are kind of detrimental to her career and potentially all of their career because if it is a competition – and if Meredith can get a leg up, then it harms all of them. Mm-hmm. And because no one knows about Christina and Burke's relationship, uh, they don't see the fact that Christina is actually being treated better. What's the word I'm looking Christina for? Christina is the one getting the favours. Yes. Definitely. And she is being favoured. Yeah. Comparatively. But, yeah, no one knows about Christina. And she's completely changed her tune now. Oh, one second. One second. Hello, this is Ayla speaking. Sorry about that. Just a little phone call, COVID situation, interruption, but everything is fine and we'll take you back to the episode. All right, go for it. What are we talking about? So then they all arrive at the hospital and we see another kind of, um, we see another little, little. Are you going to talk about the flirtiness between Alex and Izzy? Well, I wasn't, no, but it's just constant. It just keeps coming up every episode. 
These two are actually so cute together. I think they have such great chemistry. I completely forgot that it happens this early, but that's that's my notes. It's just like, Alex and Izzy are kind of flirty, and I'm like, mmm, is that self-destructive behavior? No, I don't think so. I think it's innocent at this stage. Mm, they don't even know they're flirting. But Alex does make a little nudge to the idea of self-destruction as well, because he comes in jogging and he says, what doesn't kill you make you stronger, which oh, yeah. is, you know... Can be related to that as well. But Izzy's totally smelling those pheromones. She sure is. Mm-hmm. And we find out that Christina isn't feeling so well. Yep. She's not up 100%. So we get into the hospital and Bailey just immediately like doles out jobs to everyone and is being particularly harsh on Meredith. She sends George, Christina and Alex to the clinic. Yeah, because she can see Ooh, that yeah. Meredith's tired. I think Meredith does a yawn and then also she does a little glance into one of the rooms and she can see Derek putting in some eye drops. So she's not a dumbo. She can connect the dots here. Yeah, so she sends George, Christina and Alex to the clinic. Meredith is given a whole bunch of work to do. So it's just like George, Christina and Izzy, you're in the clinic. Mm. Izzy, you're with me today. And Meredith, here, do what, like a dozen things. It's like, I need you to check on post-ops in these four rooms. I need you to do a discharge here. I need you to go see this girl in the clinic. They've asked for a consult. She is given a huge workload. Yeah, she is. And it is explained a bit later. Bailey kind of talks about how she's giving her hoops to jump through. To prove herself that she's not just being favored. Yeah. Which I guess, again, is back to this self-destruct thing. Because Bailey really does believe that what Meredith's doing is so wrong. So... If she keeps doing it, she's kind of going to be punished for it in a way. Correct. In Bailey's way. Um, So Grey meets her patient, who is Claire Rice, and she looks like she's about 16 or 17. Um, And we meet both of Mm. her parents. So she's come in with abdominal pain and she's quite nervously sort of picking at her fingers and, and looks very, very anxious. Her mother is this very beautiful Um, very 90s stereotype of a mother, you know. She is, isn't she? She looks like the stepmom in The Parent Trap. I was just about to say that. She looks like what she reminds me of, that whole vibe. And she's talking about how um, inconvenient all of this is and it's just like this girl's behaviour and and the, the dad keeps trying to interject and just keeps getting stood on by this mother and just having abdominal pain. So mm. Meredith needs to check and the girl's just, no, no, I just need antibiotics. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. They mentioned that she's gone on holiday to Mexico and Meredith is absolutely picking up on the torturous mother situation and she asks them both to leave. So Meredith can just see exactly what's going on. Meredith knows what it's like to have a mother that you want to please so desperately and, you you know, she can spot a toxic mother-daughter relationship a mile away. Yep. Um, so she asks them to leave and then starts doing an abdominal exam and finds some little scars from a surgery. Mm. So we go for a, uh, for a MRI. While that's happening, Alex meets a man who's – in the waiting room and he's bleeding. Digby Owen. I love Digby. And he's like, mate, you're bleeding. You're bleeding. And he's like, yeah, yeah. Got shot. How cool. <laughs> and he's basically showing this bullet wound with such pride and such joy. To which Alex does like, GSW, everyone, 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 come on, GSW, yeah. we've got a GSW. He's like, no, 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 I did it on purpose. You fucking I'm chill, I'm chill. So this is probably the most obvious in your face example of the self-destruct button correct of self-harm and christina just has no time for his bullshit totally he has 
asked his friend to shoot him so he can get a cool scar. Because he's got a tattoo of a skull. So he's already been shot once through one eye of the skull. And so he wants mm-hmm. to shoot it on the other. And Christina's there like, fuck are you doing, bro? He's like, I like the scars. My art is about commitment and pushing myself as far as I can. And look, I, I know quite a lot about body modification. I was very, very involved in that world for a really long time. Well, there's a few different reasons people get body modifications. The most common is aesthetics. Some of it's functional and some of it is more spiritual, which is similar to what this guy is doing. So his idea is I want to make my way through the world and I want to push myself to the extremes via my pain threshold. So it's like, cool, man. Um, Go to a suspension. Play piercings are great. Get a scarification. Like, there are so many other options and someone shooting you in the goddamn arm. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. But it turns out that this patient was actually in here last time with the last wound. So he's recognized pretty instantly and Bert comes over, knows a bit about him. And this- The masochist. Yeah. And Alex gets along really well with this guy. They both- were wrestlers back in his hometown in Iowa. I guess part of Alex's ethos as well is the what doesn't kill you make you stronger. And this guy's ethos is basically exactly the same thing. And the way he explains it is why do anything unless you're willing to go one step further than anybody else? So these two get along great. There are definitely better ways to do it. Oh, they do a really cute little like we both did wrestling in high school. Yeah. Oh, in college. And we see Christina Patrick. get nauseous again. She just keeps feeling really sick. And it's just said that, oh, there's a flu going around the hospital, which I find really weird because no one else has flu symptoms in this whole episode, just Christina. It, it also just gave me the COVID tinglies <laughs> oh, immediately. Yeah. It's like, everyone go home. <laughs> go home. Everyone, where's well, my first thought was tested, like, please? If, if she has the flu and it's going around, um, like mask, why put, put a mask on. Totally. Like, bare minimum, put a mask on. I mean, obviously we know now that it's not the flu, but they think it's the flu and they're also saying the flu is going around. So where are these, where's the protection? What's going to stop the flu from catching on to everybody else? We're so hyper aware <laughs> all the so time. hyper, yeah. And I think forevermore now, I feel like this has really changed us. So now I've got a box of 100 masks. So anytime I get the sniffles, I'm probably going to be wearing one because they're also very good for hay fever season and swearing at people in public. They're also just really good for not having to smile all the time. Yeah. Mm. So then we meet George's patient, a little two-year-old Thank girl who's Jamie. so cute. She's this adorable. This scene with George and Jamie is adorable because she's, you know, she's not acting. She's just a little girl Being sitting cute. there having mm-hmm. a little chat. With a fake doctor and she's having a ball. Yeah, she's having a great time. And T.R. Knight, who plays George, is just like letting her do whatever, letting her, you know, ad-libbing with her, chatting back to her whilst also saying his lines. And he does this, he does this so well. The whole scene is so natural and so charismatic. I could watch these two for ages. Mm -hmm. So the little girl's got uh, this foot twitching. Uh, and her parents have had her seen by a few other doctors, but they mentioned the county hospital. Yeah, and they, they do mention that they came a long way to come here. Yeah, but basically she has a brain abnormality. She had a CT scans done about three months ago, and it's it's why her leg is – she's having – Having seizures in her leg. 
constant seizures. Mm. So he grabs um, Shepard, who comes in and is like George is very offside with Shepard. He is taking all of this incredibly personally. Um, but Shepard is also super adorable with this tiny human. Yeah, the same thing again. This girl is just so cute. She's just, you know, she holds up the little, I don't know what they're called. The, the, the thing they tap your knee thing. with. She's like, is this a lipstick? He's like, it's not a lipstick. But just he continues on with his lines so effortlessly whilst also interacting with this little girl who's just having a ball, playing with objects. She's great, saying whatever she wants. Yeah, it's beautiful. And what does Derek say? He's like, we're going to go into the MRI space machine. Yeah, in the space shuttle. The space shuttle. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, George is the very first time, actually, we're seeing George be insubordinate. Like, he talks back to Derek in a big way. Very standoffish, very cold. Mm-hmm. He is not happy, Jan. It's a very Australian reference. So he runs off to book the CT, and when he comes in to tell Derek that it's booked, he passes by a anesthesiologist that's uh, working in Derek's surgery. So he's obviously just popped out to the loo or something and he's coming back in. Um, and he smells bourbon on his breath. And the orderly that he's talking to is like, oh, yeah, we, we all know about Dr. Taylor. And makes another offhanded comment that's like, we'll say something when it gets bad enough that he can't finish his crossword, which is fucked up. This makes me so mad. Same. It's unfortunate, but we, we find out a little bit more about the doctor's code later. Um, but we do find out that this poor little girl, Jamie, uh, half of her brain is dying. What a terrifying, terrifying thing to figure out. And even to see it on that scan, you see this brain and half of it is black. And it's so scary. But the brain is such an amazing thing. When Derek explains that they can cut out half the brain, but it's okay because the spinal fluid will fill the gap and then the brain will kind of work again and reform in a way. It's really incredible. Well, not physically, but the, the, the connections will all be there. He does say that she might have some problems later in life, but doesn't go into too much detail about the it. The brain can retrain itself and relearn neurological pathways so it can adapt, which is so incredible. I, did you ever read that book, The Brain That Changes Itself? It was really big maybe six years ago. I don't think so, but I studied psychology in year 12. Um, but yeah, I, I did know that if you do get a brain injury early on in life and something like this does have to happen, the other side of the brain will compensate. It's miraculous. Brains are so incredible. It's nuts how little we know about brains. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but we also see Derek in this episode being very tired and very much using eye drops and drinking all of the caffeine. Yeah, which, again, goes back to the whole theme of this episode. He he did this to himself by staying up all night, which is bad. I'm surprised he stayed up all night at his age. <laughs> that took a long time. Okay, that took me a little while, but I got, I'm so I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm tired. It also took Derek a long time. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I could keep coming with these all day. Ayla. <laughs> <laughs> so then we meet the most annoying couple I have 
ever had to watch. Oh, on I the don't show. even have notes on these. It's basically just like manipulative, unhealthy why. That's all I have written down. It's exhausting to watch these two. Because Izzy's supposed to be working with Bailey and then they're interrupted in the corridor by this this woman holding up her man-child who has swallowed her car keys to, as she puts it, um, remove my only means of escape. Yeah. When it's said like that, it's really, really dark. And they're just bickering at each other because he's like, I thought it'd be romantic. So Bailey's like, yeah, not dealing with this one. Izzy, off you pop. Take these two. And, oh, I hate them. Mm -hmm. She says something like, this woman needs those keys so she can get away from Mm -hmm. this guy. And Izzy's like, yep. She's like, go get them. Go fetch. The things that she says that he does... Like one of them, so basically Izzy finds the keys and they've got to go through with the, um, basically an endoscopy, put a, a camera down his throat and clutch at the keys to get them out. But like what? Yeah, it's almost like she's going fishing down his throat, but it has a, they've attached a little GoPro to the end of the fishing rod so yeah. you can watch. But like one of the things that he did was... She said, what about the time that you called my therapist pretending to be your therapist so that you could find out what I was saying about you? Absolutely not. And he's basically like stalking her as well. It's fucked up. This relationship is so toxic and so unhealthy. That's that's called domestic abuse. It's very uncomfortable to watch. And it's, it's very uncomfortable that she... So they finally get the keys out, but it's just, it's so much bickering. It's so much bickering. It's not even bickering. The way, so he's, he's absolutely awful. All the things that she's saying he's done is abhorrent, but I, I also just find her really hard to watch in this episode. Like it's something about the, the tone of her voice and the, how much she says and how, how she's just completely up in his face and up in Izzy's face when she's trying to do her work and she doesn't stop talking. That makes me, she's definitely kind of the victim in this situation. He's definitely in wrong. She's absolutely the victim. She's so annoying to me in this. Why is she still in the room? Yeah, she's infuriatingly annoying, but like the girl needed to get it out. The girl needed to like say her piece to him and explain all the reasons why he is an absolute piece of, dirt on the bottom of your shoe yeah but she does a complete switch when he starts swallowing the keys further because Izzy was like I kept you in here to keep him calm it's like why would the the screaming potentially ex-girlfriend keep him calm exactly so he starts swallowing them further and she's like no baby I don't mean any of it I love you I love you I love you this is all fine so Izzy finally grabs the keys yanks them out drops them in a cleaning solution and just hands them to her and says Mm -hmm. you need to go and never look back. Yeah, but it is a bit scary because he's like, you'll never know where I parked the car. Totally terrifying. So it's like, what if she actually does have to come back and be like, I don't know where you parked it? Yeah, this guy should be, um, the police should be called. It's it's really awful to watch. I can't, I, yeah, I can't stand this. But Meredith has gotten her patient a CT scan and they find out that she has an abscess and edema, which is swelling because of a gastric bypass that she had performed in Mexico a botched gastric bypass. So it definitely wasn't performed correctly. No. And Gray tells the parents and the mum is just 
completely unfeeling. Well, the way she explains it as well is that her daughter took the easy way out. And she's lazy. And her mum keeps going on about how her daughter her daughter should lose weight and how her daughter should lose weight and how she's too lazy to do it in a proper quote-unquote way. So her daughter took the easy way out by flying to Mexico and getting an illegal surgery. To be careful of the freshman 15. Which is heartbreaking. This is, whole story is absolutely heartbreaking. Meredith tells her that they're going to have to reverse it and she was like, well, no, 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 I, I need to keep it, I need to keep it. And Meredith says, well, you know, you're, you could die from this. And she just says, but I'd rather be thin. And all I could think of, and my notes even say the early thousands were rough, because all I can think of was this girl that I follow on Instagram and it's her whole shtick is people that we used to think were fat in the early thousands, like just the size expectation back then. There were were brands that didn't go any higher than a size 12. They labeled that clothing as a size 16, but it was a size 12. And um, what, what, what was it? Kate Moss that says skinny tastes better. Nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. Correct. And it was, it was a time. And yeah, it's really rough. This is a hard one for me to talk about. It all kind of hits a bit too close for my ability to talk too much about it. But yes. So basically what ends up happening is that they get the parents approval um, and they send her in for surgery. Um, and the father is very, very concerned for the, the health of his daughter, but the mother just wants to scold her at all times. So mm-hmm. Gray takes serious efforts into removing the mother from the situation, but uh, Bailey and Gray get into the surgery and realize that they're going to have to remove half of her bowels. So this poor girl ends up with short gut syndrome, which is basically where – so everyone knows that our intestines are like five football fields long. So when you remove half of that, it basically um, – removes a portion of your bowels that is able to the reason it's so long is because it takes a really long time to extract all the nutrients from your food um so this girl is going to be riddled with um poor nutrition for the rest of her life and is going to have to be on quite a strict diet and which is what would have happened if she i mean which would have happened with a gastric bypass anyway because when you get your stomach stapled you have to be so careful because you can only eat such a limited amount of food Mm -hmm. If that's not completely nutritionally controlled by an expert, then you will suffer so many consequences for not having the correct nutrition. Absolutely, it's it's a it's a whole thing. It's not just oh cool, you'll lose some weight. It's like a, a huge surgery and a huge undertaking and something that will affect the rest of your life because there's no just going to go out for dinner with friends. There's no drinking. There's no it's so controlled what you can intake. And you can lose weight so rapidly that all of your other organs just have a terrible time as well dealing with the weight loss. Because um, I think we spoke about this in the last episode where the woman had lost 50 kilos in a year and that was a mm-hmm. third of her body weight. And any more than sort of 10% of your body weight is really, really bad for you, which is why I never understood TV shows like The Biggest Loser. Um where those people drop hundreds of kilos in a matter of weeks. It's unsustainable and it's unhealthy. 
the thousands were rough. It just goes back to that. But yeah, so this this girl gets the surgery and um, Meredith and Bailey come out to tell the parents that their daughter has survived and what's happened. And the mother just goes on this rant about her child being lazy and Grey puts her in her place. She feels like nothing she does is good enough for you. She's killing herself to try and please you. You're her mother. She worships the ground you walk on. Which is really telling of Meredith's own character as well because this is this is us getting an insight into obviously different issues with Meredith's mother, but it's still the same root. It's still the same cause. It's still this idea that you look up to your mother and you idolize them and you want to be like them. So their disapproval and they're pushing you to be better at something is hard and Meredith's was surgery and this girl and her mother, it's all about image. It's it's rough and Meredith can completely relate. But this is great. This really gets to the dad for the first time. I think he's having such a realisation over this whole period. He just tells his wife to shut up, which is great. Yeah, he's realised that his daughter has basically almost died trying to appease the mother. And, look, I'm, I'm grateful that he's finally spoken up, but also you've had 16 years to do that. So true, you know. But Ray sort of talks to the girl and the girl's like, did, did I get to keep it? Did I get to keep the bypass? She's like, you didn't, but now you do have the short gut syndrome it is going to be quite difficult and I just want to let you know that I have called social services for you and she's like what do you mean she's like what does she say life isn't supposed to be this hard and you're going to need some support and it's nice she says you don't understand it now but life isn't supposed to be this hard which I think is is really it's really nice to hear in a way because I think we we don't see that Our world is so much smaller when you're that age. It is. It's hard to see a bigger picture. So we find out with, so we go back to Digby Owen and not only did he get shot in the arm, but it's gone straight through the tissue into his chest, um, which gives him a hemoneurothorax, which is basically blood in the lung and a collapsed lung. So Christina's run off to try and find Burke. And on the way, she bumps into Izzy and George who have a lot of things to say about this morning and are not subtle at all. Not subtle at all. George just makes his offhanded comment about it being hard to hate Derek because of how good he is as a surgeon. And that just, Christina's so onto it. She's like, oh, okay, so you know. You know about him and Meredith. And this is like, how did you know and not tell us? She's like, how did you not know? Which I think is a callback to the first episode where Christina says that Meredith is sleeping with her boss directly in front of Izzy. Yeah. (laughs) This is cute. I really love when they're all just chatting and hanging out like friends. Yeah, I really enjoy it. And they talk about how it's not responsible for Meredith and Derek to have been up all night having sex now that they have all these surgeries in the morning. And Christina does a little spiel about how it shouldn't matter what people do when they get home. From surgery. She's obviously very guilty. Yes. About her own dalliances in on-call rooms. She's like, how do you care how people unwind? You like to bake all night. Some people like to drink. Others like to have the occasional screaming orgasm. And that's when Alex (laughs) comes in. Jumps in. Stuffs his face with a donut. It's just um, very yonic the way he's lapping up that creamy donut. Oh, Ayla, I wasn't thinking that at all. 
How could you not? It was like smeared all over his face. He's one of those boys that comes up and you're like, oh, yeah, and you've just got to give him a, a wipe on the face first oh my and God. pretend like it's loving, like they've just done a really good job. But you're like, oh, that's that's a lot. That yeah. episode in Sex and the City where Christine is – not Christina. Miranda. That's about donuts as well. That's where you're connecting these dots. The that episode in sense. Sex and the City where Miranda is joined Weight Watchers and she's dating a dude who loves Krispy Kreme donuts. Yeah, that's where I'm connecting it because he comes up and she's describing him as glazed. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Christina really doesn't like Alex at this point. She's like, what are you doing here? Why are you talking to me? Why are you in my vicinity? So she just strolls off and bumps into Burke and Burke's just like, you should go home and go to bed. And she's like, you're the one who did this to me. You gave me the flu. He did. He did indeed. That he is not sick. He is not sick, but he he just starts checking his glands, making sure he's all right. So I immediately started checking my glands to make sure that I'm all right. Oh my gosh, I just did it then too. <laughs> I know, I just watched you do it. <laughs> then we get into surgery with Meredith and Bailey. Yes. On our teenager. They have an interesting little chat. Because throughout this episode, Bailey, every time she sees Grey, has given her another list of a dozen things to do. And Grey's like, yep, cool, taking it in my stride, getting this shit done. Yeah, she just takes it on board, gets her work done. And that's kind of what they're talking about. So Bailey explains that she's kind of making Meredith jump through hoops. And Meredith says, I made a choice and I know you don't respect me for that choice, but I'll live with the consequences. And Bailey's like, well, the consequences are is that I am going to ride you. Exactly. Until you understand what you're doing is is wrong. But Meredith comes back with something incredibly valid and says, what I do outside of this hospital is none of your business. Exactly. Because she prefaces it by saying, I might not do it your way, but it gets done. I do my work. And then, yeah... Exactly what Christine has just said. Once I leave the hospital, what I do in my spare time has nothing to do with you. So it's it's an interesting one because that's so true. But also Bailey has explained how it does affect it does affect her because it affects her day. Standing here talking about your problems affects my day. That's I love that speech so much. Mm -hmm. And then also it definitely does affect her if things like favoritism are to come into play in the workplace. And then it will affect not only her but everybody else who is are also trying to learn all of Meredith's classmates. So it's interesting right now at this point where Derek hasn't been favoring her and Meredith is getting every single thing done. It really shouldn't matter, but I think it's still important for it to be laid out that it's frowned upon and that if it does affect work in any way, there should be consequences. And she walks out of this surgery where this poor girl's bowel inflammation has exploded all over her face and it's just I gross it's so gross think about it as the donut does that make you happier just pretend it's the donut it's so custody it's just it's just a donut are you actually gagging what are you doing yeah I'm so uncomfortable. Go have a water. All right, cut all that out. That was gross. Do you need to take a pregnancy test? (laughs) Oh, actually, I was cleaning out the bathroom cupboard and I found pregnancy tests in there. Did you know pregnancy tests expire? (laughs) No. Yeah. Um, So she walks out of this surgery and (laughs) Bailey tells her to go talk to the parents. She's like, I'm going to take a shower. Like, this shit's all over me. And Bailey's like, no. 
hoops and she's like i'm going to take a shower that's the first time we see like a little bit of banter between her and yeah bailey. there's a little bit of a cheeky smile there i think bailey i think bailey knows how good meredith is as a surgeon and she's slowly starting to prove her worth to bailey and then we cut to before it gets to that then we cut to george scrubbing in with derek and this anesthesiologist well because he noticed the dr taylor walks in and they're scrubbing in to do this Brain surgery on this adorable little two-year-old. Smelling like bourbons. And George is in such a difficult position. So George calls him out, basically, in front of Derek, in front of everyone else who happens to be in that OR room, including Boki. And he says, have you been drinking? And everyone just stops. He says, have you been drinking? You know, there are rules for a reason. This is a two-year-old girl's life we have on the table. I think it definitely needed to be brought up, but I think the way George did it wasn't right. But he definitely had, it was, I mean, he just waited too long. He should have said something to Derek before they went in. Like he should have just pulled Derek aside and said something, but it is good he said something before the surgery. And you can see Derek standing there being like, I know what he's saying is true, but I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And you think for a split second there, that Dr. Taylor is going to be sent out of the room and he doesn't. He kicks George out. I don't think Derek knows that it's true at that moment. He does because he kicks George out and then he turns to him and he says, are you sure you're good for this? He's like, if I wasn't ready, I wouldn't be here. I think I think Derek thinks there's a possibility that George might be right. But Derek finds out later and does kick him out. I don't think Derek knows. Bourbon is pungent. Yeah, so George is being kicked out. And we're in the change room where Meredith smells awful and Izzy just starts immediately berating or Christina's lying there and Meredith's like, you need to go home. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. So I feel like Izzy could have potentially been the one to go into this surgery. Bailey walks in. She's trying to find an intern to replace George in Derek's surgery. So she's looking at the three of them. She's got Meredith covered in goo, Christina dying, lying on a bench and Izzy who's a bit tired and a bit angry, and Bailey's kind of assessing them, and her eyes land on Meredith, I think, just looking at her being like, why haven't you changed yet? And Izzy instantly jumps down her throat, like, oh, of course you're going to get picked again. Apparently you can help Dr. McDreamy in ways we can't. That's so spicy. In front of your boss. In front of Mm -hmm. her boss. When actually, if she just held her tongue, she's kind of the only proper choice for this, honestly. Correct. One of them has just been in a surgery and is covered in bodily fluids. The other one is a dangerous bodily fluid at this point. And Izzy's there, bright, shiny, perky and blonde. Let's do it. So she doesn't quite have the right attitude. And I guess, you know, Bailey does not like personal drama. So anyone involved in any personal drama in front of her face is not going to get chosen for any big surgeries. Well, also, Bailey's just realized that Izzy knows. Mm-hmm. So if Izzy is being unpleasant to Meredith, how the fuck is she going to work with Derek? That's such a good point. Correct. Like she's going to be insubordinate and mouthy to Derek as well. And she turns yeah. so, to yes. Meredith and says, oh, I'm not the only one making you jump through hoops. <laughs> In a really cute, playful Bailey way. Mm-hmm. So Christina gets chosen. To go into surgery. And she's standing in surgery with Derek and she looks up and see George 
in in the gallery just standing there keeping an eye on anything because he has a real attachment to this little girl. And George just looks like a puppy in the pound. He looks so sad. But he's also very angry. He's very angry. Um, so during this surgery, Burke and Alex are working on Digby. Well, let me actually rephrase that. Burke is working on Digby. So because they found out he's got a hemoneurothorax, uh, which is blood in his lung and one of his lungs has collapsed, they have to drain it. And his first question is, oh, shit, can I be awake? Can I watch? <laughs> so Burke's got a test tube in, a test tube, sorry. Um, oh, what is it called? The The tube that goes into the lung? he's got a drainage tube jabbed in between mm-hmm. two of his ribs and he's awakened and alex has just taken a, a polaroid of him for him to keep <laughs> he's having a great time he is he's feeling a little bit woozy because he's just lo- lost a lot of blood uh but they they get the the bullet out and give it to him and they they drain all the blood out and then um Alex comes back to check on him a little bit later and he's white or white as a sheet. His his white blood swells are spiking. He's sweating, he's And he's scared. He really did take it one step too far, and we find out that he um he recently got a new tattoo. Yeah. And for anyone who's ever had a, a tattoo or a piercing before, if you happen to get sick or even just a cold within a week or two of getting that body modification, it is not going to heal well because your body is using all of its defenses to heal the other parts of you that it pays no attention to the massive open wound on your body part. So basically when he got a gunshot wound, his tattoo was already a little bit on the more irritated side and he got a gunshot wound. So his body's like, yeah, cool. We're not going to deal with that. Yeah, it goes to what's most important. So it sends all its little white blood cell fighty boys up to the gunshot to heal that. And the tattoo just goes along by the wayside and just gets more and more infected. It is rough. So so um, Alex has run to get Burke. Um, and we, we jump back into uh, little Jamie's surgery. And Christine is there watching Derek operate on her brain and and Derek keeps looking down at her face and you can see her eyelids sort of twitching and and starting to open and uh Dr. Taylor appears to have fallen asleep yeah. it's at the helm messed up so this poor girl's waking up because the anesthesiologist is so drunk that he's fallen asleep and Derek and Christine have to try and wake him up and that's when Derek realizes that George was right all along and reprimands him by sending him out of the OR. He says, you won't be in here again, which is good, which is fair. He gets someone to cover him. The surgery ends up going well, and we get a great little moment with Derek and George out in the corridor where Derek, what we find out is that Derek says there's a code where us doctors don't ask each other personal stuff inside the hospital, which is fucked up. This is so toxic. This is such a toxic workplace behavior that in something like this, in life or death situations with people on a table, if you can't ask someone, hey, are you drunk right now? That's that's messed up. Someone, something needs to happen. This is a huge thing that needs to be addressed. This this can't happen. This code can't exist. And Derek says that. He's like, this is absolutely my fault. 
I am so sorry all of the responsibility for what happened. Yep. He says, as the one who was cutting, as the surgeon who was about to cut, I should have taken responsibility there. And it's like, yes, yes, you should have. I, I do feel like that George sort of alerted. As soon as the other doctor told George that this particular anesthesiologist has drinks on the job quite regularly, George sort of said something straight away. He should have gone to HR. He should have gone to Derek. He should have just told it to someone ASAP. Should have gone to the chief. Where is the chief? <laughs> Sitting up in his little glass castle. So weird. Mm-hmm. But Derek offers George a hand. We can see that Derek has actually really enjoyed working with George all day, respects him, really likes him as a surgeon and as an intern, and has had a great day with him. Mm-hmm. And he offers him his hand to say, thank you, I will respect you more in the future, I promise to do better. George is pissed And George off. just looks at his hand. Looks at Derek, looks at his hand, and the second they clap hands, Derek pulls a... Yeah. So you saw me leave the house this morning. I'm not using her or favouring her at all. Yeah, which is the first kind of... Well, not the first time we've been seeing Derek express his feelings for Meredith so consistently, so pushingly every episode. But, you know, he does kind of in his way admit to George that this is real. He does have real feelings for her. Which is nice because we are about to see a kind of reflection of that. So these two guys having this chat, we're about to see two girls having a similar chat when Meredith gets home to Izzy later. Um, So we very quickly cut to Burke in the room with Alex and Digby and and, and Digby's Digby's coding. He's he's gone into multi-system organ failure from sepsis created from the the tattoo because he didn't tell any of the surgeons that he just had this tattoo and it was and it was upset. And Alex takes this one really hard. He says, "This is the first person from back home that I've met." Yeah, Alex is really connected with Digby, and this is kind of the first time when Digby's coding. Alex really proves himself as a surgeon. You know, he's really actually very confident in what he's doing and he doesn't have that normal Alex arrogance. He's actually doing his job very well. He calls Burke in. He's working with Burke really seamlessly. They work together really well in this scene. And we see that he he's a good doctor when his arrogance isn't he blinding also, him. I think he idolised Digby's whole sort of mantra yeah. quite a lot. So seeing that someone... I think he really see, saw himself reflected in this. Like potentially Correct. maybe it's a bit of a sliding doors moment. Like if Alex hadn't become a surgeon, he probably would have ended up a bit, you know, similar to Digby. Correct. Or like has lots of similar traits. And, yeah, has to call. And Digby unfortunately passes away. Mm. Um, so out of all of our patients today, the only patient to survive unscathed from this whole episode is the one patient who didn't put themselves in danger and didn't exhibit self-destructive behaviours, which was our little girl. Oh, I would also say it's the guy with the keys. No, he loses his girlfriend. Oh, okay, fair. I thought you meant unscathed in like a... Oh, I assume his esophagus is also pretty torn up. Keys are not smooth. (laughs) I mean, the little girl is losing half, lost half her brain, so I wouldn't say she's unscathed. Yeah, but she didn't do it to herself. 
Well, she's the only one that didn't do it to herself. Yeah. I'm just trying to put some she's smiley face into this really rough episode. Leave me alone. <laughs> okay. Well, now our little girl is the only one and that family, that storyline is the own storyline that isn't them doing it to themselves. That they're, they're doing, they're doing the opposite. They, it's kind of, it's kind of hinted at that they don't have much money. They've come a really, really long way to come to this big fancy hospital. They mention that they're really scared of the medical bills. And Derek tells them not to worry about the money. They've, they've really gone out of their way. Yeah. They're doing everything they can to help their little baby. And then we get home. And we get home to Meredith's house and Izzy is baking a cake. A chocolate cake. So watching Izzy and baking and the way Izzy loves baking in Grey's Anatomy and kind of how she uses it as a bit of escapism. She gets out a few of her emotions while she's baking. She really uses it as self-reflection time. That got me into baking. The difference is I am a terrible baker, but I wanted it to be my solace. I've tried, I've had so many moments of really getting into it, like buying really fancy stuff, going for good recipes and really trying to make cute stuff. I'm just so bad. I made a cake so bad that I could hit it against a wall and it stayed intact. It is my 100% belief that you're either a really good cook or you're a really good baker because they are two completely different skill sets. And the only thing that I am really, 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 really good at baking is brownies. And that's because the key to a really, really good brownie is underbaking it. <laughs> if you fucked up a brownie, you've probably done it right. No one likes cake brownies. They're a lie. This scene is really, really cute. We learn a lot about Izzy. We understand why she's so angry in this moment. She explains that the way she sees Meredith. If you wait a few minutes, you can have a piece of cake. Totally. I baked it chock full of love. Actually, chock full of unrelenting, all-consuming rage and hostility, but it's still probably tasty. Basically, the way she perceives Meredith in comparison to her is that Meredith grew up. This is what Izzy sees, by the way. I'm going to definitely preface that. Meredith grew up in this big house, famous surgeon mother, and Izzy says you can walk into an OR and people automatically respect you and assume you're going to be good at your job and know that you belong there. Whereas Izzy has come from a trailer park, has a not as easy childhood. She didn't have any money. She put herself through med school by modelling. And she says that when she walks into an OR, people expect she's the nurse. And she feels like she doesn't get the same amount of respect and she really has to force, she really has to try hard to gain others' respect in this world, whereas she sees and feels as though Meredith just gets it automatically because of her it's name. Breezing through breezing it all. Through. Obviously, she doesn't understand that Meredith's had a pretty rocky life as well. But it's really nice to see. A very hard day specifically. It's really nice to see and learn a bit about Izzy. And it's so understandable. I understand that feeling that Izzy has so well. Where you just feel like you're trying and you're trying and you're just not getting anywhere. I think that's called being female in hospitality. Yeah. I, I know we always talk about hospitality, but I don't feel like I work in. I mean, I know I'm working currently, but I don't feel like I work in hospitality anymore. No, you, you work in, in the arts and television and... I assume that's so much harder. So much harder. We met in hospitality. 
and I've gone back to do a brief stint in hospitality while um, the industry that I normally work in is kind of rebuilding. Uh, that is, is really struggling and you understand that. Um, and I completely understand that as well. I've found myself in that position many a times and it and it's it's something that really sticks with you and it's really hard to rebuild your own self-confidence after experiencing that. And it's really hard to ex- like figure out your identity when you feel like your identity is so different from the way that people perceive you. It's really hard to then to then have confidence in who you are if the way you're perceived and the way you perceive yourself is so radically different. I did read something interesting the other day that that said that you are never perceived as the person that you are because with each person that we interact with, they see different facets mm. of us. And that's why it's so hard to sort of define and think about who you are as a person because who you are internally is who you're most honest with. And who we think we are as people is 90% of the time not what's perceived on the outside because you are different with every person that you speak to overall you'll probably have an overarching thing but you might speak to one person about Ayla and they think she's a conniving hateful bitch and another person might think she's a a loving kind motherly figure who goes out of their way for other people yeah it's weird it's like if you got a whole bunch of different people from your life across different facets and different areas if you held a mirror of yourself like you'd see so many different reflections of yourself in all of those people's eyes it's correct it's so hard to know what the real one is just by looking outward so yeah you really have to kind of learn yourself from within that's very I don't know if that's very tangenty but that's what this scene kind of brings up for me it's like these two women are seeing themselves reflected in just the other one they don't really know each other well enough yet so no. they are just making assumptions based on stereotypes and previous experiences yeah but it's really nice to see this scene because they get to know each other a little bit more and Izzy really brings out of Meredith sorry my voice is going because <laughs> I've been working nights um Izzy really brings out in Meredith Meredith's feeling softer side Derek yeah her softer side and it's cute so they're sitting down and she's like I'm gonna give you some cake you don't deserve it but you can have a piece of cake and as she's cutting into this cake her and Meredith are having a chat and a light bulb goes off in Izzy's head and she's like oh my god you like him mm-hmm. you've got the feels and she suddenly turns all like excited and puppy again because Meredith has feelings for Derek and Izzy loves feelings. Izzy loves mm-hmm. love. So she loves romance. It kind of changes her opinion a little bit having this conversation. Yeah, it's like, oh, you're not just sleeping with the boss to like get better surgeries. You're sleeping with the boss because you like him. Mm-hmm. Now tell me about his peep. I think Izzy's so confused because and she says something like, You're all mushy and full of secret feelings. Which is really cute. Mm-hmm. And then she just immediately gets into the filth and is like, Yeah. So give me some goss. Give your sex list friend some gossip and she doesn't meredith kind of the main bit of the end of the episode oh it is absolutely not there is one self-destructive behavior that we have oh my god oh my god sorry no it's not at all so Ignore me. the actual while while meredith is running through her her the the last narration bit we um we're in a very large toilet with a panicked looking Christina checking what I hope to be not an expired Mm -hmm. 
pregnancy test. And it turns out that Christina may not have the flu, but what she does have, Burke definitely gave to her. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. And that is a self-destructive behavior. She knew that sleeping with her boss was a bad idea in the first place. She knew sleeping with someone who wanted more romantic connection than she did was a bad choice. And we absolutely know that doctors know that doing naughty stuff without protection mm-hmm. is dangerous. Yeah. Well, that's the main thing. That's the self-destructiveness is not using protection. I think her entire relationship with Burke is self-destructive. They are so different and it's so blatant from the start. Like the last two episodes, him constantly asking her to define the relationship. And in her mind, there is no relationship. You are my stress yeah. relief. She is knowingly but going to bed with someone. Her. Yeah, but he she's knowingly going to bed with someone who has more feelings for her than she does. She knows that she is sleeping with someone who wants a relationship yeah. and she doesn't. That's a yeah. shitty thing to do, not only to yourself, but to the other person. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Oh, it's so sad. Poor Burke. Mm-hmm. Even though he's not the nicest person in this situation, it is a bit of poor Burke. No. And then we see Meredith and Derek exhaustedly climbing into bed together. And they suggest. <laughs> this is my favorite part. <laughs> maybe we should just, maybe we should just sleep. Mm-hmm. That's how you know someone you're dating is someone you like. You're like, oh, the first time that we actually just sleep in the I same bed. I wrote that bed? in my notes too. Yeah. It's very, very hard to sleep next to someone if it's not you don't know that it's like a mutual feelings situation. Yeah, because if you're trying to sleep and you know that they want to get their horn on, you're like, oh, but I want to go sleep, please. Yeah. And they both just pass out fully dressed on – why would you have textured pillowcases? It's a dumb choice because then you will wake up with a textured face. Like, they look nice, but, like, absolutely not. They just look like throw pillows. I hate throw pillows. So, oh my god! Yeah, not about it. I think we've had the throw pillow discussion again. I think, but yeah, I think that's definitely <laughs> dying with the last generation. That and um, Christmas pudding. No one likes throw pillows, and no one likes Christmas pudding. Also, who the fuck can afford throw pillows? How expensive pillows are. Yeah, it's stupid. Especially if they have no purpose, they there's no point. No, millennials unite against um, shit pet food, the diamond industry. And unnecessary pillows. Mm-hmm. We say no. So next next episode, season one, episode eight, is actually the second last episode of season one. It was such a short season. So, yeah, that was fun. I feel like this is a big episode. There's a lot of patience that we just discussed. I feel like a lot happens. Both of us were having a chat before we started this, and I'm like, I don't know if it wasn't a big episode or if I just didn't take a lot of notes. I think you're very, we're, we're both very invested in this episode because a lot of little nuances happen in this episode and a couple of big things go down as well. I'm excited for uh, episode eight because this is one that I can't remember what happens in this season finale, but we always know that Grey's Anatomy season finales are are very good. Well, thank you so much for listening. Please give us a rating. Or please give us a rating wherever you listen and subscribe. That would help us out a lot. We love doing this. We want to be able to continue doing it. So thank you so much. If you'd like to follow us on Instagram, it's at scalpels and tequila podcast. We've really enjoyed reading all of your messages and seeing all of your comments. Uh, You can find me at ms underscore Ayla underscore Azure. And I'm at Misty Hayes. I'll pop it in the show notes for you. Bye. Bye.
Vagina. Sing it. Vagina. Vagina. Vagina.